You know, we continue in our series as we look at the family. And if you haven't met Rachel, this is Rachel Stamey. She's married to Tom. Is Tom here right now? Or? No, he's busy. He's on an airplane. Ah, okay, work? Yeah, probably. Okay, yeah. Rachel has a couple kids. And uh, Rachel, tell everyone what you do. I work here for you. All right, that's insightful. All right, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But you, you're, you're also, tell me about this other part of your life. You're a professional what? Yeah, birth doula. What's now? Some of you, I don't know if you've heard. When I've, well, I kind of know what it is, but you know, some people may not know what a doula. That's an interesting name, doula. It's Greek. Yeah, I love Greek. Yeah, all right. Yeah, (laughs) servant. Yeah. So I attend births with women who. So I get hired for money. (laughs) Um, And I attend births with women who want a little extra support. Sometimes that looks like a lot of hands-on, like physical comfort measures. Sometimes it looks like getting a lot of ice. Or even I have even done a birth with, that was just boiling water almost the entire time. Yeah, just like the movies. <laughs> you can ask me about that later. Um, um, but it's, it's a lot of family support, just doing what needs to be done in order for the woman to have her best birth possible. Yeah. It's just interesting. I, of course, you know, kind of a, the, the doula has become very popular, and I think we're seeing that. And uh, I know that uh, we've had our uh, daughter-in-laws who've used doulas, and it's like really cool. I mean, what you do is an amazing service, and I love it because it brings an expertise into our babies and to our department that you kind of add to it, which I just totally love. So we wanted to talk a little bit about you know, the importance of family, especially when we think of younger, uh, these are younger families, you, you start off, you, you know, you got, uh, you know, <laughs> talking to one family, no one over the age of six, and there was like three kids all under the age of six, man, that is a prayer request, can you send them into that? <laughs> like, wow. Um, but when you think about Mother's Day and you think about everything that's going on, um, mother's stuff has changed a lot. The very makeup of motherhood has changed. I was, you know, it's part of my, um, a lot of my studies and stuff is looking at family systems and what's happened historically. And if you were to just go back, just round numbers, 100 years, and compare motherhood then and today, it is absolutely radically different. Matter of fact, if you think about it, uh, the current stats tell us that 7 out of 10 moms are now working at least 25 hours or more. So I just, I mean, I just, when I think about a mom having to work, be a mom, take care of husband, do everything that you have to do, I mean, you think about all that takes place, it's really changing the dynamic of what the home looks like, and it requires a whole different level of interaction, communication. You can do this. I mean, your case in point, Lois and I, we, we did that. Uh, when you think about just the dynamics, it can work, but it's more challenging than ever before. I don't know that a lot of us have been trained or, or taught about how to navigate all of this that's going on. And, you know, kids before the age of five, do you realize that some amazing things take place, some absolutely dynamic things happen? When you think about it, the first five years of a child's life 
And again, I'm speaking from that other side that, I mean, I, in terms of what I do working with families and marriages and individuals, I spent a lot of time looking at human development. And I'm going to keep it basically very simple, but the, the human brain develops more in the first five years than any other time in life. You think about it, that a baby's brain is maybe 25% of its actual size. And by the time you hit uh, somewhere around five, the brain grows to 90% of its full uh, size and, and growth. And then the rest of it continues on after that. So you think about that. All of the connections, all of the things that God created are now kind of forming and taking place. And everything that happens in those first five years are critical things. The experiences, the sensory interactions, all those things that take place. And it's possible to to do all of this and be an amazing parent. And then I think about our job as a church to assist you in doing what you're doing. Because I see this as those little kids are critical. And you realize that with all that going on, we want to make sure that we do everything we can to support them and help them. And it's one of the reasons why I love what Rachel can bring and the rest of the team around her, that a strong emphasis on the development and understanding of what's happening with kids, because that is absolutely critical. You know, right now today, I just want to remind us, and it's an important aspect. Our kids are one of the, I think, great challenges we face today is screen time. And one of the things that, uh, you know, it's such an important understanding that um, all that takes place, and that's not just for kids, it's for also you adults. You know, one of the newest uh, and most significant addiction that's growing right now is technology and time on the screen, gaming, videos. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but worldwide right now, um, there are, there's a huge growth in the development of clinics and other resources to help people overcome addiction with the media. And we're talking not just games, but FaceTime. And, and uh, I mean, what Face, uh, you've got uh, Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got WhatsApp, you've got WeChat, you've got Instagram, and on and on it goes, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of things going on. And what's interesting is we're now becoming addicted to those things. And it's interesting because people actually are feeling emotional depending upon what they see on their, these different sites. And so the result worldwide right now, it's now... And I want you to understand, this is a really big deal. Uh, I was thinking about... I mean, 90% of the population has a device of some sort. You know, it'd almost be like, raise your hand if you don't have it. Don't do that, but if you don't have a device... You would be embarrassed to be in this room right now because probably very few of us would raise our hand and not have a device. So here's a statistic. This blew me away, and it just kind of gives you a picture. By the time a child is seven years of age, at that point, they would have spent, a child born today, by the time that child is seven, will have spent an entire year in front of the screen. Now let me tell you what that means. That is taking that entire year, 24 hours, 365 days, multiply that out, and that's how much screen time that child would have spent. In other words, out of seven, an entire year has been given away to just looking and viewing on a screen. Now, that's incredible. I I read that and I thought, that is crazy. That's a lot of time. 
And so I, I hope that you guys would begin to see. And we, we have a sense of mission in just really supporting you and helping you understand this. You know, I, I was thinking about the growing addiction and all that's taking place. You know, do you, you understand the addiction of this stuff, the games and all that? It's basically a reward addiction kind of thing. It's God made us you know, in such credible ways. But what begins to happen, you've ever been to Disneyland for the day? Or some theme park for the day? If you have, you just know it is just way cool. You know, I used to work at Disneyland. Disneyland really is a happy place. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Unless you work there. <laughs> and it is just a crazy place. And it was just, oh, it's just so much fun to be there. It was a great way to go through college for several years, a couple of years. It paid, helped pay for college. That's great. I won't tell you what I did. But uh, that's, a, that's a top secret uh, piece of information. Except for a few people who know. Yeah, no, I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> All right. You really think I should tell him? Yes. Okay. Okay, so here I was one of the characters in Disneyland. Okay, you'll never guess. I was Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I got paid, so that's different. <laughs> And I was one of the that would dance around, you know, and I had the honey. This was when, now, have you seen Winnie the Pooh lately? Man, he's been on a diet or something. It's really <laughs> pathetic. Looks like slim. He doesn't have, I mean, Winnie the Pooh that I did, I mean, we're ta- kids just loved running into Winnie the Pooh's stomach. And they would bounce off. And there were some kids I would help them bounce off. <laughs> and, you know, it's Winnie the Pooh. What can you do, right? And so... And the funny thing about all that is I can't talk. When you're a character, you can't talk. So another character had to talk for me. And so they usually would sign one of the characters that could talk and, you know, whatnot, because they would say, yo, what are you looking, what's going on? And I would just shake my head or nod. And that's really hard when you're in an eight-foot kind of thing going on here. <laughs> and uh, it was crazy. We had a great time. <clears throat> so Disneyland's a happy place. So here's what happens when you play games. It's like going to Disneyland for the day, and you get this amazing reward. It, it, you feel happy. There's a sense of joy, and it's just fun, right? Now, let's take Disneyland, and let's say you did it every day for a month, or you worked there. <laughs> it's not fun anymore. And now you need more, because now you need some great... I mean, how many times can you do Space Mountain and be thrilled? After a thousand times, it's kind of boring after a while. I mean... I've had people like, how many times have you done this? And after a while, that's why they keep upping the game, because you need more thrill. That's exactly what happens to a lot of our children and to a lot of you playing games. You need more thrill. And what happens now, it is an addiction. And I've got to tell you something. This is, this is a big deal. You and I need to understand that we are fighting this battle. It seems to me that our children need something from us, all of us. And here's what they need, love, acceptance, and forgiveness. I believe that every one of us in our interaction with kids need to be amazing encouragers. They need unconditional love. Um, They need to be reminded that they're a gift from God. Every child, no matter what the circumstance, is a gift from God. Can you say amen to that? And that we then all parent our children with a sense of fairness, integrity, and diligence before God. Mm-hmm. So this is so critical. And these formative years require a lot of nurturing. 
that's our mission. We want to see these kids nurtured. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So, so I've asked Rachel to take it from here and talk a little bit more about what that nurturing is and what that means and what that looks like. So you said formative years. Let's talk about what that is real yep. quick. Yep. Um, for the sake of our conversation, we're going to say it's from zero to five. But um, when we were talking in your office before, you said something about... 60% of a child's character is personality. In personality is done by the time they're five. Five? Yeah. Five. 60%, yeah. more than half, guys. More than half before they're five. And that, is, and that is a formulation that takes place as a direct result of what happens in the home. So what they experience, what they see, good stuff, bad stuff, stress, no stress, that all formulates the human personality up to 60%. So who you are that's 60% of you. Now, the good news is there's Jesus. And that's why we see some amazing things happen. Because some of us maybe don't come from great homes. And we think, so what does that mean? Well, it means you really need Jesus. And it's hard work, too. Yep. It's a lot easier yep. to get them while they're young in the first place, right? Yep. Yep. So we're talking about nurturing the spirit in the formative years, formative being zero through five. And um, I don't know if you got one of these, sorry, <laughs> at the door. So there's some stuff in here. Read it. Not right now because I'm talking. But <laughs> this middle paragraph right here says 80% of the parents with children under 13 believe that they have the primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual issues. Yes, you do. Barna survey um, says that parents have basically no plan for the spiritual development of their child and do not consider it a priority and have little or no, no training how to nurture a child's faith. Guess what? Right now. Plan and training. Ready? And it's not, this is not just for moms and dads with littles in their home. This is for anyone who ever interacts with a young child or with any child ever. Can I just say that? This is for everyone, not just for moms. I'm going to be talking to moms kind of a little bit more than usual today, given that it's Mother's Day, right? Um, but we're talking about the spiritual formation of little kids. And we talked a little bit last week, um, family ministry is here to support you in that, partner with parents in laying the spiritual foundation for their kids. Um, and we talked about know, be, and do, and how this trifecta comes together and creates a person, right? And so what does it look like for a little kid to know, be, and do their faith? For knowing, we're talking about core understandings. This is the framework of truth. Oh, and I just actually, let me back up for just a second. I'm not talking about like developmental milestones. Like by a certain age, the child should sit and then walk and then do all the things and then eat solid foods and, and learn their ABCs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spirit, right? That's deeper. So yes, all that's important. This is even more important. This is not stuff that the pediatrician is going to look at or the schools are going to look at. This is your job, okay? So this is the frame, knowing knowing, right? The framework of truth that the whole rest of their lives will be built on. This is stuff like, I am a person. I exist uniquely from my family. I have a family. I, ha I live in a group. What I do affects others. These are really core concepts. We think, well, yeah, duh. But you had to learn that at some point, okay? And this is how we, how we when, 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 how we learn that. We have to learn that right from wrong exists, not just which, which action is which, but just that right is a thing and wrong is a thing, and I have to make a choice that is one or the other. 
we teach that during this time. Authority. Authority exists. Somebody's in charge of my life, and it's not me. That's true for everyone, not just little kids, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. Boundaries and expectations. There are limits. There are expectations. I have to meet them. And ultimately, we want our kids to know who God is, right? And we represent that to them every day. Um, And then in the being department, we've got character, values, personality. These things are not predetermined. We get to nurture them. We get to help choose who our kids are going to be. No pressure, right? Okay. So can they trust? One of the major psychosocial achievements of a child before they're two is to trust at all. Like, can they trust? This comes from a caregiver responding to their cries. Um, Do they have hope or do they have fear? Do they have peace or do they have anxiety? This stuff, the the foundation of this stuff is laid early. Um, And then doing. We've got stuff like kindness, fairness, conflict resolution, self-control, repentance, forgiveness, obedience, listening, taking risks, patience, manners, respect. I could go on and on and on and on. None of these lists are complete. You guys can continue to make lists. <laughs> like, there's a lot to do here. And you might be thinking with that, that do stuff I just listed, that maybe those are being things. Yeah, for a grown-up they are. But for a child, we learn them by doing. How many times have you had to interact with a little kid that said, and say, say to them, say sorry, about a bajillion times? It's a doing and then eventually it becomes a being. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. So no pressure, right? No big deal. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> so we can do this because we're super mom, right? We got this. We've got eight arms. We can be, we can do this. Moms can do anything. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so... What is this deal? I mean, Pastor Steve talked about it a little bit. Moms work outside the home most of the time now, and they are still expected not just to hold down a job, often full-time. They're expected to be the primary housekeeper, meal prepper, child caregiver for their family and hold down a job, right? No big deal. Let's talk about a day, the day in the life of Supermom. I'm going to get up early. Read my Bible, of course, because we're, you know, Christian supermoms, right? Oh, kids are getting up. Okay, so we're going to make a healthy protein-packed breakfast because everybody needs protein to start their day. That's how we do this, right? Pack lunches for the whole family. Get everyone ready and out the door. Oh, yeah, saying shoes about 12 times. Shoes, now. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Drop kids off maybe in two different places. Hit the gym for half an hour because I'm expected to be fit and also being beautiful and at the gym at the same time. What is that about? Okay. That's a whole other thing. (laughs) Um, Work my shift. Pick up the kids from daycare. Cook a nutritious and kid-friendly dinner. Good luck with that. Do the family devotional or Bible reading. Get the kids bathed and to bed. And then pick up the toys. Do the dishes. Bake the muffins for the bake sale. Um, make the shopping list for the next day. And then have enough energy left over for marriage time. 
if you, you know what I mean. Okay. And if you don't, then that's okay. And then, of course, continue to look great the entire time. Right? Yeah. It's in the, okay, it's in the Bible, you guys. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Proverbs 31, right? You've, heard, you've read this. It's not Mother's Day unless we talk about Proverbs 31, right? She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. Just like I just said, right? Right? There's a second half to this verse. My favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, my life would be different (laughs) if I had servant girls. (laughs) No, I'm not saying you should all go out and get yourself some servant girls. (laughs) But, you know, there is... (laughs) Sorry. Okay, sorry. There is some real value into in having help right that's what i'm saying here get help we're not called to be super moms we are called to be industrious and even busy and our households are called to be full of life and productivity but we are not called to do this by ourselves okay everyone in this room not just the mamas have a part in raising our kids okay so the bible really does and you know, if you haven't read Proverbs 31, do it. It is Mother's Day. After all, if you haven't had your devotions, that'd be a good one. But the Bible does tell us how to do this. In Deuteronomy, we have some really foundational stuff about how to live for the Lord, how to raise a family for the Lord. So Deuteronomy 6, 4, has, 4 through 9 has basically seven sentences that each have a really specific purpose about bringing our households towards Jesus, laying that spiritual foundation. This is foundational for whether you have kids or not, by the way. This is just about being a whole person pointed towards God and following him. So listen, O Israel, the Lord our, is our God, the Lord alone. And this is from the New Living Translation, by the way. So this is your number one thing. And it comes first, and it is really number one. There's a There's a thing on my belt. I forgot. (laughs) Number one is recognize the sovereignty of God. There is no other worthy of our worship. We sang this today already. If you don't have this nailed down, nothing else matters that I'm about to say. Okay, this is number one in all the ways for all the people. And number two, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. This one's pretty straightforward. This is the one we tend to focus on, and sometimes we forget the first one. Don't do that. You need the first one first, okay? So this one's pretty straightforward. Love him. Number three, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Now, the I here is Moses talking to the people of Israel right after They left Egypt, left slavery, and they're setting up for themselves the formal worship of God in freedom for the first time. So this is foundational, not just to our lives, but to the entire word of God and to the, in, in, to the entire formal worship of God throughout the generations forever, pretty much. This is a huge thing. So we are supposed to commit ourselves to the obedience of God's word, which means we need to know God's word and then live by it. Really a simple statement, but not an easy one kind of a big deal. A lot there. Next, we repeat them again and again to our children. 
This is speaking the truth of God, not just the commands that the them is speaking about the commands, but the entire word of God and also his character and his love. You don't need to be quoting scripture over your children every day. You, I mean, actually, let me phrase it. You do need to be quoting scripture over your children, but that's not the only thing you need to be doing. His character and his love constantly, right? And then talk about them. The, again, the, that them is the commands. When you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. This means make routines of it. Have a plan. Do it every day, over and over and over again. You know that prayer, God is great, God is good, let, him think of, think, let us thank him for our food? You guys have heard that? Some core truths about God right there. God is great, as in powerful. God is good, as in loving. Let us thank him for our food. Where is the food coming from? Provider, right? And that we should have a grateful heart towards him. Core truths. So this is daily devotions, prayers before bed, prayers before meals. Um, even what you listen to in the car, it's all useful, right? And then tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. This, I love this uh, idea. I mean, there's a literal interpretation of this, of course. Um, but th- we sang a song today about being showing who's your owner and reminding yourself of that. I, don't, I, that, that I thought was very appropriate. Yeah. Um, Label yourself as belonging to God. Who is your owner? And then who needs the reminder? We do. We We need to remind ourselves, right? And the whole world. Let it be public. The little boxes that they would wear on their hands and on their foreheads were pretty obvious. You could spot somebody from a mile away that they, they were following this command. Let your own ownership belonging to God, let that be obvious to the world. And then finally, we have the last sentence here, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Literally, this means put scripture up in your home. We have, in my house, I counted, but now I forgot because I didn't write it down, sorry, but a number of scriptures around my house. And some stuff is direct actual scripture with the little like Micah 6 8 is right next to my front door um got some psalms I even got a lamentation scripture up because mercies are new every morning yeah and uh, in my son's room there is a little sign that says superhero rules and it's got like 10 things on it that are all based on scripture the last one's a fun one give give flowers to the women in your life right yeah but it says like be humble show mercy the you know all the things and i caught him reading it he's seven he's practicing he's he's becoming a fluent reader he was reading it to himself like the words that you put up in your home so we're talking about young children right these are the words that young children young readers are going to be practicing over and over and over again this is they're it's they're going to internalize it they're going to memorize it make it worthwhile words guys Um, And then figuratively, this phrase, we're talking about marking our homes and our households and our families as also belonging to God, not just our own selves. Being ready to say, my family's different. Our family is different. We're not like the world. We belong to God. So saying that is huge. And of course, these things are all foundational. We're not even talking about the details and what that looks like yet. 
there's lots more messages left for that, right? <laughs> and so just to sum this all up, in summary, if you can know, be, and do your faith in front of your kids, sometimes narrating as you go, like, for example, you, if you're walking with a toddler or three-year-old, you walk up to an intersection, what do you say? Yeah, you got it. Stop. Look both ways. No cars. Okay, it's safe to cross. And you say that all out loud over and over and over again, right? Every time you do it, same thing. Narrate your faith to your children. Say it out loud, literally out loud. And if you can say this, Proverbs 23, 26, to yourself, to your child, to your grandchild, to your nieces and your nephews, Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. If you can say that fully, then you're doing it right. Amen. Yeah, amen. Good. We're talking about building your home. We're talking about creating a family system. We're talking about, in order to do this, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. What do they observe with you? What are you building? Let's just take just a, a, a couple minutes. We're going to be, be brief. But look at Psalm 127 because it just connects us to what we're saying here and reminds us of a very couple, just very simple Okay, listen, unless the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord builds a family, unless the Lord builds a church, okay, the work of the builders is useless. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries, it will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. So when you think about this, and you think about what this is saying, this is really very simple. This is telling us that God wants to be involved in your lives. And sometimes we allow him to be involved in our lives as an afterthought. God needs to be involved in our lives as a primary. What, what Psalm 127 is teaching us is that whatever we do, whatever you do, God needs to be involved. So when you go to work, God's involved. When you are working and doing whatever you do in your home, God needs to be involved. When you're doing your job, God needs to be involved. God wants to be involved in everything you do. And that's a choice to allow that involvement to take place. You think, is God really concerned about every little detail of my life? I'm going to answer that for you. Yes. He's concerned about your, your sales. He's concerned about your grades. He's concerned about how you use your time. He's concerned about how you turn that wrench. God is concerned about every single thing that's going on in your life. Don't think God's only there for the big stuff or God's only there for the crisis. That is not true. God is there for every single part of our life. And here's what this is saying. It's saying... Give God responsibility for your life. 
turn it over into the hands of God. Now, the minute I say that, I don't want you then to forget you'll still have responsibility. This is not, you could easily misinterpret, this is not like you don't have responsibility. We just heard a whole bunch about Proverbs 31, the, the woman who is very industrious. We, we've, we're looking at Deuteronomy. Here's the point, and you'll notice it says, unless the Lord builds the house. So in Hebrew, they put the emphasis in the beginning of the sentence. But there's a whole sentence there. I want you to look at that. When you read that, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, its, la- its builders labor in vain. It doesn't say, let the Lord build your house and you don't have to do any work. It says labor is still happening. Building is still taking place. But what this instruction is saying is unless the Lord builds the house, before you start doing all this work, everything you're doing will be in vain. That's a pretty strong statement. Think of how many times you've done a job and you didn't give it to the Lord. So let me be really straightforward. That means that job you did was done in vain because you did not give it over to Jesus. Every single thing you do needs to be handed over into the hands of God. Every time I'm looking at you, every time you wash a, and you got a, a business where he does windows and stuff, every time he's doing it, he's got to give that over and realize God is the one who's going to build his business, not him. But yet how many times we think we have to do this or that Let me tell you something, when you and I get up in the morning and we're doing our job, the first thing we do is we say, God, I want to put this in your hands. Okay, that's true with our children. Every single day you get up, you have to put your children in the hands of God. So God's giving you responsibility doesn't mean he eliminates. God may be responsible, doesn't mean he eliminates your responsibility. Can you say amen to that? You want to find peace? How many of you want peace? Okay, so I have an answer. Involve God. You, this is exactly what the psalmist is saying. Unless you involve God. So you want to ex- experience peace raising kids? So here's the deal. Every now and then you've got to remind yourself, that child, it really isn't yours. It's God's. This is going to be a big one for some of you. That child is a loner. <laughs> You are only the manager and the steward of that child. And unless you turn that child over into the hand of God every single time you do whatever you're doing, then you've got to realize why you're doing it. And I think sometimes what, what we struggle with is, put, remember we talked about this, putting God in the driver's seat. See, God's supposed to be driving your parenting, your family, all the pieces of your life. We talk, I'm reinforcing the priority of that. You want to find peace that says, in vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. You know, I'm learning still every day to do this. Have you ever, have you ever been robbed of sleep? So I'll tell you, this morning I got robbed of sleep. I woke up at 3.30 this morning. And my thought was, oh, God, you've got to do something to this morning. And I found myself struggling with what's going to happen, thinking about it and processing. My brain waked up, was awakened thinking, 
And I realized I'm not going to get sleep until I turn this over in the hands of God. So I, I did it. And somewhere within 30 minutes or so, I was back asleep for another hour or two. <laughs> I had to get up anyway. <laughs> but have you ever had that happen where you are, again, awakened because your thoughts... And here's why you're not having... One of the reasons you may not be having peace is because you haven't turned it over in the hands of God. So we have here that there is a key, and so it's pretty simple. Let me keep it. Jesus is the boss, not you. Jesus is in control, not you. And so you give to him and say, God... I want you involved in everything I do. Can you imagine how different your life would be, whether you're talking about parenting or working or just living life, that you made this amazing commitment that says, God, I want you involved. I choose to let you be involved. I realize it's your responsibility, and I have responsibility, but I'm going to trust you. And God, thank you for the peace that I can receive because I've made these decisions. And that's what it means to build, letting God build a house. Now, it goes on. We get into this thing about children. Now, I love this. Children are a gift from God. They're a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows in a warrior's hand. Oh, I love that. You see a minute of that? A sharp arrows in a warrior's hands. How happy is the man whose quiver is full of them, he shall not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Okay, so here it is. Never forget, children are a gift from God. I'm going to say this again. You don't own them. You don't possess them. They are not yours. They are on loan for a period of time. At some point, you let them go. Now listen, I'm a dad. I'll always be a dad. But my sons have grown up, and now they, they have to do this on their own. And I make it known to them, very practice, said, listen, if you want my help, call, ask. But I am no longer the coach of your life. Instead, I am the cheerleader. I have gotten off the field of game, the playing there. I am no longer coaching and calling in the plays. I'm in the stands cheering my boys on. I am the booster club. Unless they say, Dad, could you come onto the field and we need a little help here. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to get on the field, but I might consider it if they ask nicely. <laughs> but there's a transition that has to take place. This is part of life. This is an important part of what takes place. You see, children are something that we have been given by God as an amazing gift. And it just changes everything when you remind... I mean, it says, look, children are a reward. And, and I want you to understand something. When it says children are a reward, it's not because you've done something to earn it. It's because God gave you a gift. God's gift is its own reward. Can you say amen to that? Isn't grace a reward? Same thing. That's what we're talking about. 
So let's talk just for, let me just, I want to talk about this arrow thing. I love the arrow thing. How many, isn't that great? I love what it says here, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I just, I always thought of my sons as three arrows with sharp points that I, that, you know, it's just like, man, watch out. You know, they're going to, all three of the, you just better, you know, you want to come against me, they're going to stand right in front of me and protect me, right? They're warriors. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, I love that. But that's not what that's saying. <laughs> Here's what that's saying. Listen, moms, dads, all of us. It's interesting. An arrow is being used here, and an arrow is not a sword. And here's what an arrow can do. When an arrow is fired by its bow and goes off, an arrow can go where a warrior can't go. There's an amazing imagery here that I can take, and God can take that arrow, and God uses the family, the training, everything of life, because my job is to remind my children over again, you are a gift from God. Your mission in life is to serve the Lord, and however you choose to do that, and someday God is going to pull back that bow string and fire that arrow, and what this is saying, it's going to go someplace where I will never go. Because they will continue on and what God's called them, what God has called all of us to do. And the imagery here is get ready because what's going to happen is God saying, I will deploy your children to the best of what I see for them, not necessarily what you see for them. And so you just do your job as a parent and you watch God slowly pull back that bow. And at some point, he lets it go, and off that arrow flies. And goes where you, maybe a place where you can't go. And here's the point as a parent, you've equipped them with the capabilities to do that. And so then they can go do what they can do. You know, I think, how is an arrow straightened with discipline? And the, the point of the arrow is sharpened by way of instruction. And the aim comes because of the faith and the purpose we impart to our children. And then they are fired off, and they do things that are absolutely amazing. Let me tell you something. I believe this. This is critical. Our character is shaped by the home. You share in a huge responsibility. What your home does shapes children. Our future is affected by the home. Who you are and how you speak in that home affects your children. And our life will be prolonged because of the home. Let me tell you something. Scripture tells us, and it's very clear, honor your father and mother that your days may be, lo- may be long upon the land which the Lord is giving you. It says if you curse your father or mother, the lamp of your life will be snuffed out. Proverbs 20.20. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live a long life on earth. Can you say amen to that? All of that is saying the same thing. There's a two-way street in this. It means mom and dad, you've got to do your job well, as godly men and women. Because there's a lot of moms and dads who don't do this very well. 
I would like to see every child have a long life, but it happens because of how we do what we do. If you don't do it well, then you're not helping. But if you do it well, what an amazing gift we give to our kids. What a blessing that we give to them so that they can live life really well. And so we see the character, the future, life happens because of the home. And we are committed to help you be the very best home possible. But we can't do it for you. You see some of that? We want to see you just unbelievably successful. And we are a team in that. If you don't have any kids, you're part of the team. We need you. Because we all do this together. Let me tell you something. When, when I see the effect that you have on my grandkids and the effect that some of you have had on my kids, when they see you, their eyes light up. Rachel grew up, grew up with a couple of my boys. And she's like, she's, she's, a, she's a cousin in their life. She, I mean, they have a relationship that's unique because they grew up together. And, and they, they speak very highly of Rachel most of the time. <laughs> Can you see me into that? I just want to encourage you in that. So we're here to do this together.